get yourselves ready for a big interview this episode. Very special guest, presidential candidate. Tighten your seatbelts and get ready for this. This is big. What's up, guys? It's Friday, February 14th, 2020, and this is a brand new edition of the FritzCast. How are y'all doing? If you have been following along, you might have caught it. Some people did catch it, and I, I was thinking about doing this like for the entire year, because the first episode in February, I actually said it was like January 32nd rather than February. And I was going to just for the rest of the year, I was going to say it's January, you know, 47th. It's January 83rd. It's January 140th. That's what I was going to do just for the, re- for the whole year and see if, you know, obviously at some point people would have caught on, right? I'm thinking they would have caught on right around hitting the forties, but I gave up on that endeavor because I forgot I was going to do that. So put your mind to it and uh, <laughs> know what you're going to do. Guys, this uh, this week I, I had the opportunity to sit down with, over Skype of course, more on Skype in a minute. I had a, I had the opportunity to sit and chat with the one and the only. Not not good enough. I think I need to jazz this up with special effects. Uh, how can I do this? Good. Okay. No, I got I got an idea. This week's special guest, Adam Kokesh. That's right, Libertarian presidential candidate Adam Kokesh. I sat down and uh, we had a nice little chat on Wednesday evening. I believe it was, the 12th. And uh, that is this week's episode. That's the brunt of this week's episode. It's my interview with Adam Kokesh, and you're going to hear all about his presidential platform, how you can support it, and his peaceful plot to dissolve the federal government and turn it all back into 50 localities. Bold, pragmatic dude, very fun to talk to. Very interesting individual and a very fun story about how he got to that because his bold, pragmatic plan of dissolving the federal government is what I usually chalk up to as the libertarian pipe dream. The uh, the vote for the libertarian and he'll get the infinity gauntlet and snap away the government. But it's very interesting to hear Adam Kokesh's plan for it. And, and you're going to hear that and much, much more from him. In just a few minutes. But, of course, I have to touch up on some of the other mumbo-jumbo that's been going on. 
All right. So like my past week has been pretty awesome. I, I I had that interview with Adam Kokesh and I actually I'm scheduled me yours truly. I'm scheduled to be interviewed on a very special podcast. Details forthcoming. It's going to be it's plotted for later this month. But I'll keep you updated on that. Okay? That's coming down the pike as as we say. But uh, that's that's been one of the highlights this week is uh is is I got to talk to Adam Kokesh. That was a pretty big deal deal to me. That was pretty you know I was a little nerve wracked talking to the guy uh, because he's got a lot of followers on Twitter. He's got like fifty thousand followers on the Twitterverse, and he was willing to come on my small independent dinky little show, which people who try to criticize me on Twitter say nobody listens to, but. You're listening to it, and you're not nobody. So, screw the haters. Uh, another thing that I've had happen this week, and uh, it's been it's been an interesting and and cool thing, is that my uh, my wife went back to school and uh, is doing classes now, and that means Mondays and Tuesdays, especially, I have to uh, take care of Emmy for the entire um, well, not the entire day, but. I go to sleep and I wake up before my wife leaves for school, and it's from like one thirty, two o'clock on uh, until the evening time. Um, sometimes as late as eight or nine, and that's uh, it was it. So far, I mean, so far I've been doing good. I think I've been hanging in there, uh, but it was very, very uh, nerve wracking. <laughs> As a dad, because you know, at least up till now, something goes wrong. Ultimately, you give, you give, you know, you give kiddo back to mama, and mama makes things better. Um, by that, I mean she's exclusively breastfed. So jo- draw your own conclusions, because I have useless nipples, of course, as, as my wife would say. But, <laughs> but uh, through through this week, I've managed. I've managed really well. I'm proud of myself for how I've handled it, uh, and it's it's a growing experience as a parent. You know, like every like I say, it's it's a little cliche to say every day is a new day, but it is uh, because your your kid could be going through you know so many different things, really, and the fact that Emmy's comfortable with me enough to take a nap with with no mama around. Was uh, that was one of my biggest concerns? That and and feeding her, the two biggest concerns. And I think I I handled it well through a week. So uh, we'll see how the coming weeks go. But that that's been a big. Those are the two big highlights for this past week in my personal life. So there you have it. Uh, two three things I want to touch up on before we dive into this interview with Adam Kokesh, and I don't want to. Spent too long raveling on because you guys came for Adam Kokesh. The, the episode's title is Adam Kokesh. That's what you want. You can't, you're Kokesh Nation and you're here to hear from the man. So we're not going to drag on too, too long with this. But we, we let's hit some key points here. We had the New Hampshire primaries with a surprising, stunning result in the New Hampshire primaries. Uh, not unlike the Iowa caucuses. Uh, the Democrats managed to not screw up a primary, probably because they had no direct involvement <laughs> in that process. It, it was people going into a voting booth and voting. 
but we of course uh, we of course had Bernie Sanders emerging victorious, but it was narrow. It was a narrow victory for Bernard Sanders at uh, 25.7% of the vote, 76,324 individual votes. Pete Buttigieg right behind him at 24.4% with 72,457 votes. And here is the shocker. Amy Klobuchar. I can, is it Klobuchar, Brian? Is it really? Or is it Klobacher? Because if you ask me... Holy crap, there's a binder duck. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm not sorry, but I'm sorry. Uh Amy Klobuchar at 19.8% and 58,796 votes. I'll tell you why this is significant in a minute. Uh because the it was 24 delegates that were up for grabs and it goes nine delegates to Bernie Sanders, nine delegates to Pete Buttigieg. Uh, booty judge sorry I'm breaking my own fourth wall rules here Pete booty judge with nine delegates so kind of tied for him and Sanders um, you know uh, it's pissing off a lot of Bernie bros uh, but that's how these things work and then Amy Klo- Klobuchar Klobacher Klo- Klobuchar uh, Kim Bassinger Bassinger ba- Basinger Basinger I don't know she gets six delegates and 19.8% of the vote. And that's it. That's the delegates. That's the delegate disbursement for the New Hampshire primaries. In fourth place was Elizabeth Warren. She only had 27,387 votes. That's it. That was it. No delegates awarded 9.2% of the vote. Joe Biden, who has been completely underwhelming in these two contests... Uh, at 8.4% with just under 25,000 votes. Tom Steyer with 3.6%. Tulsi Gabbard with 3.3%. Andrew Yang with 2.8%. Andrew Yang has conceded, or suspended, rather, his campaign. Uh, So Andrew Yang is out now. Uh, Deval Patrick, who everybody's going to be like, huh, what? Uh... Not even a percentage point. Same with Michael Bennett. Same with Cory Booker. Same with Kamala Harris and all these other people that aren't even actually in the race anymore, but they, they're getting votes. And there's a ton of people here that got votes that nobody's even heard of at all. Seriously. <laughs> there's like a dozen more candidates that were registered in this primary process. But the takeaway there is that uh, a lot of Bernie bros were getting mad because the news was reporting narrow victory, and they're like, "Oh, they're they're trying to underwhelm they're trying to underwhelm Bernie's victory." The media is rigging this thing along with the Democrats to 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 try to undersell Bernie's victory. He got nine delegates. Booty Judge got nine delegates. And again, the numbers the numbers here twenty five percent of the vote. 25% to 24% of the vote to 19% of the vote, and you're going to talk about Bernie's winning big? Please. Please, 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 please. If you're one of those people who, who somehow feel like there's tremendous momentum for Bernie Sanders, check your bias, dude. Check your bias, because in two contests, the guy who's supposed to be the front runner, right? Well, Joe Biden was supposed to be the front runner. But uh, a guy that uh, is the progressive's savior, the guy who is the 
progressive savior can't even scoop up above 25%. Now, mind you, it's a crowded field still, really. I mean, techni- it technically is because you still have Buttigieg. You still have Klobuchar, who who this was a, sur- this was a surge for her. Um, Elizabeth Warren, this was an underwhelming performance for her. Joe Biden, same, Steyer. No, nobody's really counting Steyer. Did Bloomberg register any votes? I don't even see Bloomberg's name in here. Bloomberg's a whole nother basket case to go over. Uh, it's still a, a relatively crowded field because it's not just down to like two or three or four. There's still a mix of you know about five or six in there. But it, it's not it's not feel the burn. This is not feel the burn numbers at all. And if I was if I was a Bernie Sanders supporter or a Bernie Sanders fan right now, I would be concerned. I really would. But you Bernie bros got to stop saying, oh, the media is under, underplaying the victory. It's not that big of a victory. It's nowhere near secured. Say Joe Biden drops out of this thing. That's nearly 25,000 votes in New Hampshire that was up for grabs. How is that going to translate elsewhere? Who, where will Biden's people flock to? I can already tell you they're not they're not voting for Joe and and really considering Bernie Sanders. They're not Bernie Sanders fans. I can tell you that. Elizabeth Warren's portion could possibly go to Bernie Sanders, but with their kind of inner tor- turmoil, feuding but not feuding business, you know, I'm not necessarily sold on that either. If any of them go to Pete Buttigieg, he takes this thing. Pete takes this thing, depending on how the numbers fall. And then there's this there's this crazy movement online that, that says that uh, Warren, Biden, and kind of Bo- uh, Judge have to decide uh, for the greater good of the country to get behind Amy Klobuchar and get their voters to her so she could take the it's this is the stupidest thing ever man they got bloomberg pissing away money at every every rip stitch uh because if you go on the internet there's bloomberg ads everywhere he's paying people to make memes and viral videos of nonsense because he's got billions of dollars and he's just pissing it away so that was the democratic primary um Results. They had a debate before that too. There wasn't too much to get into the debate, uh, other than uh, Pete is is actually on an upswing right now compared to everybody else. Uh, the, the the last thing I wanted to touch up on was a was a, a, a Senate vote. Um, that was a a Senate Joint Resolution sixty eight for the hundred sixteenth Congress second session. Uh, which is titled a joint resolution to direct the to direct the removal of United States armed forces from hostilities against the Islamic Republic of Iran that have not been authorized by Congress. This was a big thing that people were talking about with the war powers uh, separation of, of war powers from the presidency of the United States. Uh, I have the the bill in hand here. This is actually uh, it's only two pages believe it or not, um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but the findings are, Section 1, the findings are, Congress has the sole power to declare war under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 of the United States Constitution. That's been 
law forever. Two, the president has a constitutional responsibility to take actions to defend the United States, its territory, its territories, possessions, citizens, service members, and diplomats from attack. And three, the Congress has not yet declared war upon nor enacted a specific statutory authorization for use of military force against the Islamic Republic of Iran. So this is stepping out and differentiating itself from the 2001 AUMF, uh, which I talked about a couple episodes ago, uh, and the Iraq Resolution of 2002, which extended into the Iraq War, and this also has Section 2, termination of the use of the United States forces for hostilities against the Islamic Republic of Iran, saying that they don't want the president to have the power to uh, do anything off the cuff. It has to go through Congress. This passed, um, this passed with the support of Rand Paul and Mike Lee uh, among, I, th- I think it was seven or eight total Republicans, and it passed um, somewhat narrowly, but it passed, and I, I couldn't be happier for that at all. Uh, so look into that SJ resolution 68 if you want the full text. It's really only two pages. It's it's really shocking to see a bill only two pages long uh, if you've tried to read bills before. So with that being said, guys, are you ready? Because this is what you came for. Me and Adam Kokesh, or Adam Kokesh and I, more me fail English, that's impossible. Here's the interview with Adam Kokesh. All right, guys, my guest this week is running for the nomination of the Libertarian Party, Hope, hopeful nomination of the Libertarian Party uh, for president for 2020. Adam Kokesh. Adam, how are you doing? Outstanding. Thank you so much for having me on, Fritz. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming aboard, man. I, I'm really I appreciate that you take the time to come on my show. I'm I'm humbled by that because uh, I feel like I'm a small guy in this big mad world of politics. But I'm glad that you would take the time to to come and uh, have a discussion with me and and uh, my listeners. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I've been through all the struggles of independent media possible myself. At least I think I have. You know, I've gone from a small time radio to uh, national cable TV with RT to independent on YouTube and being totally shadow banned. Now, almost everywhere I go um, on my YouTube channel, if you look at the numbers, they are obscene. Uh, I used to get 5,000 views a video with 50,000 subs. Now I have five times as many and I get about a thousand views per video. So, or, or less even, and it's usually less now. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate what you're doing and just what it takes to say, I'm going to start uh, a media production in this environment. And, you know, having started and restarted so many times myself, you know, I, I really do appreciate what it takes to say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to set off with a new venture. And I, I want to also let everybody who's listening know really how fundamentally important this is. And, and, and to my campaign and to, to all libertarian candidates, to be able to get a message out, to be able to connect with people and to have as much as possible an alternative to the mainstream media. And it really takes an active, engaged audience. It takes people who will listen and, and seek out independent media and and support it and share it and, and support it financially. So uh, I encourage everybody listening to actively support FritzCast. Wise words, and I appreciate those kind words from you as well, sir. Uh, I, I did note in, in looking up 
some of your past profile because uh, I, I joined this whole libertarian-ish movement probably uh, in the 2012 election, although – I, I, for some reason, I went in the booth and I voted for Mitt Romney. I don't know why, but whoa, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It, but you've, you've come a long way. I can tell. That, that's where the landslide started right after that election, where I was like, I, I think I went in there and voted for a guy that I didn't even really believe in, you know? Yep. So that turned me on to libertarianism and figuring out all about these third parties and and more independent political movements and. It, it got me into listening to these podcasts. Uh, I, I've, I've watched some of the content that you've done throughout the last couple of years, and uh, I, I believe you're I believe you're dead on with your experience uh, having having run this you know insane world of of politics and and really speech on the internet. It's 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 we have so much at our fingertips, and at the same time, it's like. We're we're coming across these roadblocks and these stumbling blocks uh, as we go. So so I appreciate those words uh, from you, sir. T- tell my audience a little bit about who you are and and how you got to this point where you decided that you wanted to run for president uh, on the libertarian platform, if you can. Well, if you're going to put it like that, before I say anything about who I am, which is relatively unimportant. I have to point out that every time I have to introduce myself as a presidential candidate, I throw up in my mouth a little bit. Uh, just a little you, bit? Just a little. Well, I'm, I'm so used to it at this point. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it, you really have to be some kind of psychopath to want to be president of the United States. And even think of myself as being in that category is, is somewhat morally abhorrent to me. And my platform really is fundamentally different in that I am running to take the federal government through a bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations as part of a peaceful, orderly, and responsible process of localizing government with the ultimate goal of getting it down to the community level because a community, at whatever size it happens to be, is a voluntary unit, and that's the point at which government transitions from being something that's coercive and unethical to something that's simply a, a way that human beings come together cooperatively and ethically. And if you have the right to leave at any time or to opt out, then you've got an ethical system. If it's one that's being forced on you, some some right of yours is being violated. And so I see this as the first step in that transition. And uh, because I would resign on day one, and uh, we declare the Constitution null and void, appealing to the higher authority of the Declaration, of course, then uh, I become custodian of the federal government, and my job is essentially that of a bankruptcy agent. Right. And it's funny that you mentioned that, too, because uh, I don't know if they told you the story about how we got linked together to do this interview. Did, did they go into that yes, at all? Yes, Donnie on, on Twitter, yeah. uh, our Southeast Regional Coordinator for the campaign. This is, uh, this is, this is I guess, a brilliant example of, of seeing something on the internet and taking like a preconceived notion about something and writing it off without doing the proper research because uh, I often – my listeners know that I, that I often say, especially when talking to libertarians and all that – I always say, uh, you know, we can't just vote for a president, uh, get it, 
you know, get, get a libertarian in office, and then he'll get the Infinity Gauntlet and be like Thanos and just snap the government right. away. Yeah, you know? I, I like the analogy of throwing the ring in the fire. That is that that's that's pretty good. That, that that's pretty good. And and when you break it down and explain it, it it comes off a lot different than the first notion that came to my mind when I first heard about it. Uh, because when I first heard about it, I thought that's pretty bold and pragmatic to say that you're just gonna go in there. You know, and and more or less light the place on fire, but that's not what you're suggesting. No, um, it it is radical, in the sense that I, you know, I think of the Henry David Thoreau quote: "For every thousand striking at the branches of evil, there is one striking at the root," and that this addresses the fundamental root of the greatest source of injustice in the world today, and that's coercive centralized governments. And the United States has the opportunity. We, the, the American people, have the chance to lead the world forward in freedom, as we did with the first American Revolution. And incidentally, coincidentally, overthrow the biggest empire the world has ever known. But in some ways, this platform is also disappointingly moderate. Uh, do you know how many people work for government in the United States at the, the federal, state, and local levels put together? Uh, honestly, honestly, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know, I know that it's, I know it's large. I know that the federal government's got to be well over a million. So the, 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 the U.S. population is about 330 million. So how many do you think work directly for the government at, at all levels? All levels combined, including state? State, local, and federal, yeah. Ah, uh, man, I can't even, uh, I'm just going to say at least three, three and a half million. Wow. Okay. No, that that's not even close. It's 22 million. 22 million. Yeah. But here's the crazy part that that's even harder that to, to gauge or surprise more surprising to most people. How many of those 22 million do you think work for the federal government? I'm going to, I'm going to be bold and say that it's, it's a, a larger portion of that number. Nope. No, only 3 million. Only okay, so and that's my first including the military, including all active service uh, personnel. Right, active duty is about one million, and it's not that's not so it's not including guard and reserves, but everybody else in the federal federal bureaucracy. So, what I'm talking about here is cutting at most three million out of twenty two million government jobs, which is less than one in seven, right? And a number of those will be absorbed by the states. Uh, most military personnel that are in legitimate defensive roles will be apportioned among the states. The National Guards will become militaries of sovereign countries, essentially. And whatever the states want to maintain in that is, is, is up to them. And one of the most beautiful things about this bigger theory of localization is why I say it's the everybody gets what they want strategy. If you're a liberal in a liberal state or a conservative in a conservative state, right away, you both get more of what you want. You both get a more customized government experience. So we don't even have to challenge, uh, you know, as a libertarian who might believe in a certain ideal, I think we need to put our, you know, our, our utopias aside and say, what can we all agree on? And what gets us moving in the direction of greater freedom, of a more ethical society. And with localization, we can all agree that having government as customized geographically as possible is in everybody's best interest. 
It's uh, going to be less wasteful spending on the military, less military adventurism, less waste, fraud, and abuse at the federal level, less corruption, and, and less ripoff. Uh, that is really the fundamental racket of government. The more local it is, not only does it become more customized, but a lot more accountable and transparent. And, and that's something I think that the libertarian principles, for me, give me a direction that naturally unites people across ideologies. You know, we don't have to be attached to our aesthetics of what we want our communities to look like when we can say, look, let's put ethics first. What's more American than that? To say, you want to live in a community like that? That's great. I'm going to live in a community like this over here. I hope you're happy there. I'm happy with what I've got. Everybody gets what they want. I will say, to to you, a uh, good benefit to you, uh, there's not many libertarians, when I hear them talk, that would suggest that uh, transferring the power down to a state and a community level would be the 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 better idea. Um, I'm 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 really shocked when I actually heard you present it that way because there's there's so much wrapped up in I guess uh, the dogma the, the the stigma of being a part of you know you know people on the internet argue about who's libertarian enough all the time and. I hear people argue about a state government being no different than a federal government, but your your example is really interesting and intriguing because I, I don't think a lot of people look at it that way, where we, we have 50 states, we have all these different regions, and there's nothing that says that, you know, hey, California can't be, you know, a, a semi-socialist haven for everybody who wants that kind of a thing. Right. You know, liberals want sanctuary cities for immigration. Conservatives want sanctuary cities for the Second Amendment. Great. You can both get what you want. So do you think that uh, in your plan for that, is there any federal level anything, or is it really just kind of a mutual agreement between the states to kind of keep things the way they are? Or is that just up to the states entirely? They can all kind of pick and choose differently what they want. Yeah, I, I would not presume to have the authority to create any new federations or new systems, but I would, uh, you know, absolutely support states uh, reforming. I mean, if, if Vermont and New Hampshire want to merge or California wants to split into six different states, uh, you know, that, that, that's up to them. Uh, but my responsibility, again, is as the bankruptcy agent of the federal government to oversee this process. And since you ask, you know, is there going to be anything left at the federal level? I, I should point out that there are a couple elements of this process that are going to take a disappointingly long period of time in order to be done responsibly. And, and for example, one of those is uh, releasing all the records of the federal government in order to shut it down faster. Uh, we're going to send all of the records to a central clearinghouse where private information that shouldn't be released will be redacted before we actually just release all of it publicly online. Uh, Social Security will be spun off as a, a public trust that will pay out through the new uh, digital security token currency that we're going to be using called AmeriCoin that will be airdropped, essentially, uh, distributed by Social Security number to every single American that will be the only currency we accept for the liquidating assets of the federal government. Most importantly, the land that it claims to own, 50% of the Western states. 
So really, this is us taking back our birthright. You know, it's funny the the timing on this that Yang dropped out today, saying that uh, UBI was the way forward. Give everybody a thousand dollars a month income. And there are a lot of reasons I could pick that apart economically and, and say why it's not feasible, but it comes down to a simple matter of principle. Do you want an allowance or do you want to be wealthy? Do you want your birthright? Do you want uh, to, to have an actual net worth uh, of, of something tangible that has been built over the generations instead of it having been stolen from us by the federal government? It's, it's one thing to say taxation is theft, but it's another to say, look, we really have to face up to how much has been stolen and do our best to say we're, we're going to take it back in the process. So there, there's a part of that, that that's going to last for a significant period. Uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, I, I'm going to spin off as a private institution. And by private, I mean owned by every single veteran in America. You give us each one ownership voting chair on a blockchain and, uh, and the drug war. Get the bureaucrats, the politicians, the special interests, the pharmaceutical companies out of the way. I guarantee you're not going to have 22 veteran suicides a day. So the, the VA will last as long as, as the veterans community uh, w- wants to keep it going. It'll get an endowment in the dissolution. So there, 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 there are a number of elements of this process that are going to take a significant period of time and allow for an, an orderly transition to state governments. That's that's you have a very you've got this flowed out pretty well, you know, you know, if I may, one of my little fantasies with this campaign is is to be sat down like Frost Nixon style, you know, the intense interview over several days, you know, where Nixon got grilled and, uh, you know, a lot of his famous quotes like, uh, well, if the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. You know, all the, all those things came out of those interviews. But I wish someone would sit me down the same way and just grill me for hours because I really am uh, a policy dork. You know, I, I've looked at the flow chart and the, the, the organizational chart of the federal government agency by age, agency. And I've gone and, uh, you know, thought out every scenario. I've been talking about this for years. I've been asked every question uh, possible at this point in, in terms of, how we make this happen. There are no bad answers. In fact, as you dig deeper and deeper and you go, well, how do we apply this principled approach? You just see more and more benefits. It's it's really unbelievable. And over the years, it's like, I I just keep discovering these things as, as we develop the platform. Like, wow, we get to give native tribes their sovereignty back. You know, we, we, we get to do uh, at least a a good faith effort to uh, to do right by treaties violated by the federal government of the United States against Native Americans in this country. You know, like that's there's so many ways that this just provides so many beautiful arcs towards justice. It, it, it's 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 almost impossible to describe how powerful this is. That that much is true, and and I, I'm I like how you pointed out the justice part. That that actually seems more so like justice than what is fluffed up and sugared up as a justice these days. Uh, if if you know what I'm talking about, like like Tom Steyer standing up and talking about how he wants to give reparations out, and 
you know, things like that. I mean, your that approach seems to be actual justice rather than false promises or or even half, you know, what right. you would get from other politicians. Yeah. So, so, one of the undeniable realities that I think a lot of uh, politicians generally ignore, but I think Yang in particular and, 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 and some on the liberal side are actually hinting at and taking advantage of rhetorically, of course, they're dead wrong on policy, but the fact is humanity's come a long way. We are capable of so much better than what we're experiencing right now, and it's primarily the coercive system of government that's holding us back. It's the economic ripoff centered around federal corporatism and the Federal Reserve System, the U.S. dollar, all of these things ripping us off left and right. We we, we have things pretty good, uh, and, and even as good as we have it, we can still point out that most of the suffering and injustice in the world is caused directly by government and most of the rest is caused indirectly by government and by by taking a fundamental step like this of, of radically uh, as in fundamentally striking at the root reforming our system of government we can not only radically reduce the injustice but really level up towards our potential of just quality of life of, of economic performance of health and, and happiness and, and all these other just basic metrics of human success where right now we're being held back. That's something that, uh, what would you say to people? Because with the split that that's amongst the American people, you have progressives who want the government to do more and more and more and try to curb things of the past, you know, mistakes of the past and wrongdoings of the past. It's always been my viewpoint that uh, the government is the big bad guy here, not not necessarily you know X, Y, or Z corporation. Although a lot of them, you 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 already alleged with the corporatism and uh, yep. the crony capitalism. You know yep. we we've heard those words. I always say that that the government's at the top of that, and that. I think it's foolhardy to empower the government more to try to curb it to yep. to correct that mistake. And I, that sounds like what that sounds like what you're going with here. Yeah, absolutely. And and there is a way to make a smooth exit out of things. Uh, and and what I'm describing here with localization at the federal level is is really just the first step. I think when you see the benefits of this, of, of getting rid of the federal government and, and letting states and, and native tribes be sovereign, is that there's going to be a race to even further localization and decentralization of government functions. And a, a getting, like I said, you know, down to the community level where it can transform, where you can break off, form your own, whatever the case may be. But when it comes to reclaiming the, the value of natural resources that really should belong to the people, uh, at least at a community level. And I'm not saying, you know, what really, like, like in Alaska, for example, every citizen gets a dividend from all oil proceeds there. And it, it's, it's a tax on oil corporations. And, and this, you know, this is just my overview over understanding of this, but that uh, the, general impact of government management of natural resources is to further concentrate it in the hands of the few. And in, in, in places where 
you know, government's favored corporations, the ones that, that pay off the lobbyists to get the laws changed, that get the zoning and the permits and, and all that kind of stuff from government, uh, it, it results in a concentration, uh, not a decentralization of, of power right, and, and access to natural resources. And when we are, are really able to realize that uh, ultimately as a species, that we all have a, an individual right to equitable access to natural resources, to homestead, uh, to, to claim natural resources, to mix our labor with the soil in the Lockean sense. You know, if, if, if you believe in capitalism, you have to believe in a capitalist property rights basis of access to natural resources. And the fact is that humanity has come so far in our potential, our productive capacity, that just being able to, to live off the land, to capitalize on that with modern technology, the idea that 100% employment, working for the man, paying taxes, doing something for somebody else, is, is the goal, is, is obscene. Not that there's anything wrong with employment, but really the goal should be 100% retirement. And we've come to that point. We are really capable of this. And in a sense, we always have been. But again, like why... Yang and some of these and Bernie Sanders and, and really every liberal socialist like, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like like all of them promising to do this through government are, are, are using a failed system and one that is fundamentally unethical. And because it is unethical, it is doomed to fail. There's a way that we can achieve this by decentralization, by embracing a proper equitable model of property rights. That's a that's a pretty amazing way to look at it. And uh, honest, honestly, it's, it seems to me, at least anyway, when I when I dived into libertarianism, I don't think and, and I, I would love for you to chime in on this. I don't think libertarians, especially the ones running for, for governmental positions, are talking enough about the fact of where we are in the world right now, tech, technologically based. You know, Andrew Yang, I think I think libertarians kind of liked him a little bit. Because of how he stood up and was talking about, you know, these are things that we're facing as we advance even further. Uh, we're at a pretty high technological point now, but we're stepping into even more uh, in-depth, you know, technological, yep. like, not, I'm not going to say the word utopias yet, but uh, we're getting to that point where it's, it's almost like, you know, what are people going to do for work at, at some point? And well, it, it, it's not just getting to crossing a line, as you described, Fritz. There's a section in my book, and I'm not running to sell books. My book's free. It's free in every digital format. We give it away at events. You can buy it online, and we charge as little as we can get away with for shipping. But um, there's a section there. This is really important. I don't think most people in politics really consider this. But what I describe it as is the asymptote. And I know that an asymptote never gets, you know, is, is, is the, the vertical point of, of a, you know, a mathematical curve, but that the human experience accelerates along with technology. And this is fundamentally connected to just the progress of life itself, seeking harmony and, and, and higher uh, structures of complexity. Multi-cell organisms beat out single-cell organisms. Human societies that cooperate are going to outcompete human societies that are always in conflict. And similarly, this technological experience is driving 
where we are now at the most peaceful point in human history. And according to Professor Steven Pinker at Harvard, did a great TED talk on this and uh, did the, uh, wrote his book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, about this, that uh, human violence follows uh, a, a pretty consistent historical uh, decline. And this progress now we can see like never before is accelerating exponentially. And Moore's law is one obvious indicator of this, right? You know, uh, the, the theory that computing power doubles every 18 months. But regardless of whether people will debate the specifics of that, and, and I don't particularly care, because the, the irrefutable fact remains that what we're experiencing right now technologically is exponential. And government is this historical anachronism, this this residual thing left over from our monkey brains of wanting to use violence to control each other. And we've embraced ethics, but we make this exception for government. Don't hit, don't steal, don't kill unless you're a cop or a soldier or an IRS agent. And this is just such an exciting time to be alive. I see this as not just inevitable, but, but happening inevitably within the next few decades. Modern, overgrown, bureaucratic systems of government based around fiat currencies are not sustainable. And it's not a matter of when, uh, but a matter of how. Can we do this deliberately and, and come up with a solution as big as the problem and have a, a peaceful transition rather than one of upheaval? That's um, that's a good way of putting it. So, in in your mind, the government is actually hindering this progress, is it not? Yes, absolutely. That that's in your book. I actually started reading your book. More of that is detailed in in your book. Yep. There's uh, well, there, there's, you know, I, and in my book, I started writing when I was in jail uh, for, for civil disobedience in D.C. And people sent me all the great libertarian manifestos. And with all these great books, I decided that I would be the greatest rip-off artist in the freedom movement oh, yeah. <laughs> and combine all of their strengths and none of their weaknesses into one ultimate red pill. But there were a couple things that I included that, that aren't in most of those subject-wise. And chapter nine is the personal freedom element and the emotional freedom aspect of this that is a personal benefit you get from embracing a, a more truth-based, love-based, ethical-based worldview. And chapter 10 is the future of freedom. And, and one of the sections in there is the asymptote. And it describes this acceleration of the human experience and what it means for government and politics. And then the uh, there's a section called the Internet Effect. And, you know, is this a revolution? What this means to you? And, and the concept of localization has... Uh, not just the the best way forward, but really the inevitable way forward. Again, just a matter of how we see Brexit, the Scottish independence vote, Catalonia, Hong Kong, uh, you know, the Cal exit. I just spoke at a California independence movement event in Sacramento last weekend. All over the world, people are going, hey, we don't have to do it this way just because it's always been done this way. If we want to redraw all the lines on the map, we're we're going to do it. That's that's a very good point. That now more than ever, I, and especially especially in places like Hong Kong and and some of the other places you mentioned, but here in America too, one of the things that that I can't wrap my brain around is how how 
I don't want to say brainwashed, but how sold people are that nothing can change from from where it is now. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, well, people have it pretty good. I, and, and I think the state has us as, as a society lulled into a kind of false rational ignorance. We assume or we're tricked into believing that it is rational to remain ignorant of government. And the fact is that, no, with really relatively little effort, you know, we can peacefully vote our way out of this. We can go through this transition as a country together. We've got this. It's uh, totally worth it when you see what is the cost of continuing the system to future generations with the intergenerational child abuse that is the national debt when you force people to pay for stuff that they never had a say in you know we're, we have to find a way out of this and, and I, I think what i've come up with here uh you know and i, and I would i would i would be open to anybody proposing a radical plan. And, and I think by radical, I mean really striking at the root. Like we're, we're, we've allowed this modern paradigm, this concept of large centralized bureaucratic coercive governments to get out of control. And we have proved this to be, you know, like, hey, we did it for, for you know, a few hundred years, whatever you want to, you know, historical period you want to include in this bracket. But, you know, it's time for something fundamentally different, and I, I've yet to hear anything uh, more practical or just or or immediately uh, possible to build a consensus around uh, than localization. So, Adam, for, for everybody listening out there, uh, where can they find you online? Where can they find some of these sources and start diving into thinking more outside of the box and and stripping down the big overbloated federal government and and really trickling things down to you know more localized more centralized government how can they figure out more about your plan thanks well my main website is thefreedomline.com that's all three words thefreedomline.com you can find kokeshforpresident.com from there without having to remember how to spell my funny last name although i'm sure fritz will put it in the notes and the most important thing you can do to support this campaign right now is to help us win the Libertarian nomination by being a delegate to the National Convention. And if you want to get plugged into that, uh, send me an email, adam at thefreedomline.com. And uh, Fritz, I appreciate the opportunity very much. I, I thank you very much for coming on, sir, and and laying all this out for my listeners. And I hope maybe soon, sometime soon in the future I can have you back on. Absolutely. And that is the interview with Adam Kogesh, guys. What did you What did you guys think? I was totally before this interview. Uh, I I was I totally had a different picture of this guy in in my head, uh, despite the fact that I followed along with him, you know, kind of casually, not not as hardcore. Had a different picture of him in my head. I thought, you know, this is a guy that wants to go in and just set the whole thing on fire, and watch it burn and walk away, but. By the sound of it, he has this this very reasoned, uh, drawn out, uh, uh, detailed approach to literally taking this overbloated federal government and completely dissolving it down to the states. Uh, you know, whether or not you, whether or not you people out there listening think that that is a doable idea or not, you've got to admit it's a pragmatic and different idea than you've heard. And this is a day and age where. 
Bernie Sanders can stand up there and call himself a democratic socialist and people are okay with it, but we can't put up somebody like Adam Kokesh who probably identifies himself as, as more like of an ANCAP, uh, an anarcho-capitalist, and we can't have somebody up there who's saying that the federal government is kind of unnecessary uh, in the grander scale. It's pretty crazy, but I, I, w- I was really enlightened to sit down and talk with him. Uh, it, this was an eye-opening conversation. So what, what did you guys think? I want you to reach out to me, let me know what you thought, and then if you're digging these interviews, let me know. If you, if you got somebody that you want to hear that you think would be a good guest that would want to come on, send them my way. Send me a direct message on Twitter, send me a message on Facebook, or uh, at fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com, and I will gladly talk to almost anybody and it, they do not have to be they do not have to be libertarian ideology they can be whatever political ideology that they are uh, I I, I want to open up this door and talk to more people and I want to promote the idea that we can actually sit here and talk even if we don't agree uh, but we can sit here and talk and respect each other because it seems like in the world today you, you have a, a total lack of People, A, being able to communicate with each other, even if they think differently, and B, respecting each other at the end of the conversation. So, with that being said, that does it for this week and this episode of FritzCast. I hope you enjoyed it, guys. Share it if you liked it. Leave me a a rating or a review on your podcast catcher, wherever it may be. And and share this uh, on your social media with your friends and your buddies. You can follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me personally. I am on uh, some other platforms as well, although not as actively uh, as we experiment and look at some of these new platforms that are trying to pop out in the world that's dominated uh, primarily by Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We do have the Instagram page too. Instagram is uh, at FritzCast. Check it out. Um or it's at Hounds, Hound of Justice FS. But if you search for its cast, you will find it. Guys, I love you, and I'll see you next week. Enjoy it until then. <laughs>